as the Redeemer, and he has secured the hand of Ruth to preserve the name of Elimelech's family, becoming a greater blessing for Naomi, we now see this section of the book of Ruth also points us to some deeper principles that I alluded to in the prayer. Deeper principles for those who are redeemed in Christ Jesus. So let's explore two uh, two points. You will, I want to tell you this. I had four points. And my first point so long, I had to cut two. So that tells you how deep this passage is, okay? So I cut it down to two. I had four. I started out with four. So the two are the accomplishment of sweet redemption. And then secondly, the great rest, blessing, and life of sweet redemption. So let's talk about, let's explore the accomplishment of sweet redemption. I, I, as I studied the passage, I really wondered, what, how long did Boaz think about this overnight? Had he been planning this maybe before and Ruth coming to him was just sort of the tipping point. I don't know, but here's the thing. He really, really thought through this. I mean, he did not leave anything to chance. He went straight away to the city gate to take care of business. And obviously the business at hand was to redeem Elimelech's family and to redeem Ruth, this woman that he obviously loved. Now, as he came to the gate, you have to kind of have in your mindset that the gate here is similar to what you and I would consider like city hall. It's a place where a court was held, where important issues were discussed and decisions made among the town elders. It's also the place where people would come in, and so maybe a townsmen, the elders there, would allow or not allow people to come in the gate. All sorts of things happened there at the gate. So notice that when Boaz reaches the gate, the text says, Behold. There's that. All over Ruth, there's words like that. Behold. So in other words, here, the, the Redeemer that Boaz had spoken of just came by. You wonder, is someone uh, orchestrating this or something? You really wonder that, don't you, as you read the passage? Well, Boaz goes in action. And he, it appears in the text, the way the text read, that he, he approaches this in a very business-like manner. He asked his friend to sit down, and the friend did. Now, now by the way, the word that's translated friend here, it's very interesting, uh, because in the Hebrew, it, it's probably better translated like Mr. So-and-so. Uh, Mr. So-and-so, would you come over here and sit down? One of my bosses used to say all the time, Mr. Man, Mr. Man, would you come over here and sit down, please? The issue here that it's very clear from the taxes is this man is not named. As we know when we read the story, he's just not named here at all. He's left out. And you wonder, you know, is it, is it because you know, he rejected the offer? I, I don't know. But it's just very interesting to see that this potential closer redeemer is not named. So Boaz asked him to sit down. He asked ten elders to sit down as witnesses. And then he gets down to bid business. Notice the proposal he lays out. Notice how he's laying this out. It's very shrewd and wise. The first deal mentions Naomi only. Okay, think about it. So, Mr. So-and-so, 
you buy Naomi. You buy her land and you care for this woman. And then after a few years, because she's older, she dies off. And when she dies, the land is free and clear. He's honest and open here. Notice that. Boaz is very honest and open. He says, I'm here to tell you about this for you to redeem. So if you redeem it, do if you want to do that. But if you don't, I will. I mean, he makes it clear up front, this is the deal. So the closer redeemer jumps all over it. I'll do it. You could see it going in his mind. He's like, this old lady, she's going to die off. I'm going to get this land. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. It's just some old lady, right? Well, you can almost see a smile come across the face of Boaz as he's laid the trap. You can almost see the, the wise elders standing around there because they've probably, you know, it's obvious this guy has no clue about any of this. But I guarantee there were many of those elders that did. And I could see them smiling too. He set, he set it out, didn't he? I mean, they're just going, Boaz is the man, you know? You ought to name your boys Boaz because he's the man, okay? So here's the second deal, okay? Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Man, here's the fine print. You've got that contract. Looks great, looks wonderful, but do we ever read that fine print down there? Hardly ever. So here's the second deal. The second deal mentions Naomi and Ruth. So here's the deal, Mr. Man, okay? You buy Naomi's land, you care for this old woman for a few years, but you also have to marry Ruth, this young widow. And you have to support her the rest of her life. And she's probably way younger than you are. And you have to support her children because you're supposed to provide children for her in, in the name so that the name would be carried on from Elimelech's family. And so um, you, you carry on that and you take care of that they're not going to be your children they're going to be Elimelech's children back by this this contractual thing that goes on in the land of Israel uh, that the Lord had laid out and then when those children are grown Mr. Man you've got to give them the land so with Ruth added into the picture obviously the value of the deal just tanks there is no value here for the man. It's a significant loss. He realizes it. He knows it. It'll impede his own inheritance. And so it's just not worth it. So he changes his mind. Now you have to understand something here. Boaz is not being manipulative. Nor is he being dishonest. He is just laying out the facts in a way that he knows will catch Mr. Man's attention and hopefully deliver the answer that he desires. And so it does. I can't redeem it. It will impair my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. What we see here in this transition, in this action plan that Boaz has laid out, is, is something truly amazing. So I want you to walk with me through this just for a few minutes here. Notice, first of all, that Boaz willingly did this. He had no hesitation in taking responsibility. Understand that he did not have to do this. He could have told Ruth, no, I'm not doing that. Just like this man did. He could have told Ruth, no. But by all appearance of, of love, 
He did it. He set his heart to do it. His aim was to settle the matter that very day. And that's what he did. Secondly, I want you to look at how purposeful he was. All Boaz's actions were very deliberate. They were deliberate. They were thought through. They were thorough. He simply did not leave anything to chance. Nothing to chance. He made sure everything was done properly, that it was certain. He made sure all the legalities were taken care of. He had all the witnesses. He, you know, at that time, the text says that there was this shoe thing that was going on, you know? So in the, in the, in the giving of the shoe, he made sure every bit of that took place. He was extremely purposeful. So therefore, the deal was certain. Next, he was faithful. Faithfully, in all that he did that day, he was fulfilling the promise that he made to Ruth the night before. He said he would do it, and he did. He was faithful to that promise. The next thing you see here is, is he is being extravagant. Extravagantly, it was not for his own benefit that he did this. You see that in verses uh, 9 through 10 here. He is doing this for them. He is sacrificing much. Not only did he buy the hand of Ruth, but all from the hand of Naomi. And why did he do that? In order to um, maintain the name of the dead man with his property. So you have to ask the question, how costly was this? You know, we don't know. Why? Because we don't know if maybe he had another wife and children. I have no idea. I sometimes think as, I, as I've read the passage and everything and I look at it, it's interesting how all of that detail is left out. I wonder if he was maybe still a single man as an older man. Or maybe he had a wife at one time and he was a widower. I have no idea. But regardless of all that, he's basically saying, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to give up my name that his name would continue. He's being extravagant. He was the Redeemer. He specifically dealt with the legal resolution of the problem of widowhood, not only for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. So what was Boaz doing? He was fixing things. He was fixing things. He was redeeming the brokenness that had come upon Naomi and Ruth. And what I think we should gather most in this passage is not just this beautiful love story here, but that this passage is most definitely a shadow reflection of the true and great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So I want you to consider Jesus for a moment as our Redeemer. What did Jesus willingly do? Willingly, Jesus had no hesitation in taking on the responsibility to redeem a people for His Father. Understand, He did not have to do this. As one old professor used to say, if I were God, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 would be it. And I'd be done with the mess. Thankfully, God's not my professor. God had a plan. 
And Jesus, out of love, and the Father, out of love, chose this plan that Jesus would be sent. He had a heart to do it. You know, it's interesting when you read about his life in the Gospels, one of the things that's it's sometimes easy to miss, but it shouldn't be easy to miss because it's really all over the place, is that he always had his face set toward Jerusalem. He always had his face set toward the cross. His aim was to settle the matter for once and all. And that was his aim. Remember Romans 6, 6? For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. How about John 3, 16? The verse we all know by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His own Son. He gave His Son. His Son willingly came. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus willingly came. That we would be redeemed. Secondly, purpose, purposefully, sorry, I almost didn't be able to say that. Purposefully, Jesus' actions were very deliberate and thought through. They were thorough. What do I mean by that? He simply did not leave anything to chance. He made sure everything was done properly. Jesus came and He fully obeyed the will of His Father. Do you understand how important it was for Jesus to fully obey the Father? If He would have disobeyed, He wouldn't have been the right sacrifice. So His coming and willingly obeying the Father is part of the package. It's important to understand that. Then He delivered Himself up for us by means of His sacrificial passion and death. Where in that act, He became sin for us. Afterwards, He raised Himself up from the dead in order to redeem us and to make us acceptable to the Father. He did these things that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, and that His Father's will would be accomplished. The will that we would be redeemed. Understand, the law was not bypassed. It was satisfied. In other words, this was done right. It was done purposefully. In Hebrews 9.12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood. Thus, the passage said, securing an eternal redemption. My friends, if you're in Christ Jesus, your redemption is certain. The shoe has been passed. Just like the certainty of Boaz and arranging at the gate in front of the witness, the New Testament sets forth a plethora of witnesses. Think about it. The four writers of the Gospels, not just three that would be required by the law, but four. And not only those four writers of the Gospels, but the rest of the disciples. And what about those 500 people that he appeared to? Paul's talking about it. He says, and there were over 500 people that appeared to, that Jesus appeared to after He rose from the dead. And He says these words, and some of those are still alive. In other words, you could go ask Him for yourself. 
The witnesses are there. Paul testifies to it. John the Baptist testified to it. Jesus, the Father, were purposeful and they were certain to redeem us. Faithfully. And all he did, he was fulfilling his promise from God to crush the head of the serpent. What what did he do? He reverses the curse of death. And and in that process, all things now are being made new. He was faithful. Jesus said in John 11, 25-26, He said, Um, To the sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you see the reverse of the curse there? Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question to Mary Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you see that Jesus was faithful to the promises of God made way back in the garden? God is faithful to us. Faithful to extend redemption to all who would believe. Finally, notice that Jesus extravagantly paid it all. I want you to think about it just for a moment here. Look at Ruth. What did Ruth do? What did she do to help in her redemption here? Nothing. What could she do? Nothing. Whose hands was it totally in? It's totally in the hands of Boaz. Boaz was the redeemer. Hers was to be covered with the redeemer's wings. And that was her, that was her request. Will you cover me? With your wings. What have you done for your redemption? What could you do for your redemption? Uh, Jesus, um, that one time I I didn't say something I I, I shouldn't have. Uh, That one time I didn't think something that, that that, that I shouldn't have been thinking. No. There is nothing that we could do. Jesus, I, I have fed the poor all over this world. I have, I have uh, won hundreds to Christ. Isn't it enough? No. We have to understand our sin. Once we sin against an infinite God, our sin is infinite, which is why we needed God to come. An infinite God needed to be appeased. By an infinite sacrifice. Jesus was that sacrifice. Jesus willingly bore the cost of redemption of sinners. He willingly paid the redemption price with His own blood. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it is ours to receive as a gift. We just have to look to the Savior and say, cover me with your wings. Cover me. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says in 1 Peter 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. 
but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Ephesians 1.7 reminds us as well, in Him we have redemption through His blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of what? His grace. And we all know, just like John 3.16, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus extravagantly paid it all. All to Him we owe, right? All to Him we owe. It's a beautiful story of redemption. The beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us that we see reflected here in the act of Boaz. But there's more. Let's explore briefly the great rest, blessing, and life of sweet redemption in our second point. Perhaps you remember the words of Naomi. I couldn't help but think about them as I was kind of going through this text this week. Naomi, um, uh, when, you know, when she communicated the plan there in chapter 3 to Ruth, in the very first verse, she says these words. She says, my daughter, uh, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? I mean, we talked about that, uh, you know, about three weeks ago. Naomi loved Ruth. She loved her, and she wanted her to have rest. I mean, she's watching this young woman go out and glean in the fields. There's probably a question here of what are we going to do after the harvest season? We brought that up. I want you to have rest. And, and, and in that, she's really communicating, I want you to be married. I want you to, to not have to worry. I want you to have this man that's going to care for you and provide for you. I want you to have children that will provide for you later after your husband is gone. Isn't that how it works, young people? Should. Anyway, that's what's going on here. And also I pointed out, you know, in that whole love relationship between Ruth and Naomi, with Ruth's change of plan there on the threshing floor with Boaz, it, it may be communicating a sacrificial plea uh, from Ruth in order to gain Naomi's rest as well in being redeemed by the Redeemer. So in our text today, we see the fruition of that redemption coming to pass. Everything that Naomi wanted has happened. Everything she prayed for, everything she desired for Ruth has happened in the same with Ruth to Naomi. What do they have? They have rest, they have the blessing, and they have the life of redemption. You see it in verses 11 and through 12. Throughout the voices of the witnesses, you hear it. This was an exceptional, exceptional, exceptionally positive and extreme uh, loving uh, proclamation from these people that are gathered at the gate. And notice, when he gathers the people at the first part, it's just the ten elders. But his people, I, don't, I think people know this is going on because all of a sudden there's a group of people gathered here that aren't just the elders, but it's people in the community. And, and there's a celebration here, a pronouncement of blessings toward Boaz and toward Ruth. Block notes this. 
He says the witnesses request concerning Ruth is extraordinary in as much as they pray that Yahweh would grant this foreign woman a place among the matriarchs of Israel along with Rachel and Leah. May she build a house, which means to have offspring, descendants, to establish a family that would reflect the beauty of her matriarchs. Note too that Boaz receives a pronouncement of blessings as well. In some, if you just step back and look at it, the crowd wish Boaz and Ruth the destiny of prosperity, the prominence akin to those famous ancestors of the patriarchs. And so therefore, Ruth received her rest. She received blessings beyond her own imagination. Redemption always transforms those who are redeemed. Let me say that again. Redemption always transforms those who are redeemed. Beyond this, Ruth received life. With the benefit of hindsight, as we're able to read on through the Scriptures and not just stop here at this story, we know that all the high hopes that these people had, the blessings that they crawled out to, uh, among themselves toward Ruth and Boaz, they were not in vain. Because as we go to the end of the chapter, we read, Obed, their future son, was the father of Jesse, who had eight sons, the youngest of whom was David, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was descended. So I wonder, do you see it? Do you see what this passage is really saying to you this morning? The rest? The better life that Naomi wanted for Ruth resulted in a grander scale than she could have ever desired. Let me make it plainer for you. The blessings of the people on Boaz and Ruth and Naomi are your blessings. Those people at that gate, as they're rejoicing, as they're blessing, and as they're talking about the children that would come, are for you. As you have been redeemed in the line of Ruth through Christ Jesus, the benefits of redemption include eternal life, You see this in Revelation 5. Forgiveness of sins. You see this in Ephesians 1. The righteousness of Christ given to us. We see this in Romans 5. The freedom from the law's curse. You see that in Galatians 3. Adoption into God's family. You see that in Galatians 4. Deliverance from sin's bondage. You see that in Titus 2 and 1 Peter 1. Peace with God. You see that in Colossians 1. In the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, you see that in 1 Corinthians 6. To be redeemed then is to be forgiven. To be holy. To be justified. To be free. To be adopted. To be reconciled with God. 
So my friends, in the light of the Holy Spirit stirring in these people to give blessings to those gathered that day, every believer becomes part of the family of Ruth and Boaz through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom God continues to fulfill His redemptive purposes in the world. Isn't that amazing? He takes our emptiness. He takes our brokenness and He fixes it with His loving kindness and His redemption. He fixes it. So how do we apply this passage to our lives and and really work it out? I'll start with this question. How might you proclaim these blessings to others? You know, we're, we're called, one of the things I see over and over in Scripture is we're called to encourage one another in Christ Jesus. And so you, as a member of this church, as a, as a follower of Christ, as one who is in Christ Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, you can proclaim these truths and these blessings to one another. But you can also do that to those who aren't even part of the family of God, who do not know, but they, they might be part of the family of God. The second thing is, is how might we respond in obedience to demonstrate God's extravagant love and kindness to others, even at great cost to us with regard to our time and finances? Because that's what Boaz here is, is being sacrificial. Jesus was sacrificial. The Scriptures make clear that He left heaven to come here. Thirdly, how might we find rest and blessing and life in the Lord for ourselves or for someone else? How might we trust in His perfect timing for all things in trial and suffering and waiting, whatever the case may be? Here's the thing, as we look at the story, we could see that even though we go through the trials and tribulations, as, even as Chuck spoke about last week in, in Job, you see that. You know, even as we go through those things, we can trust Him in His timing. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's a reality. If He is who He says He is, and He does all things for our good, and even the trials and the sufferings we go through are for our good. Fourthly, how might we spend time in true and legitimate thanksgiving for the blessing we have from Ruth and Boaz through Christ and the glorious story the Lord has written and the glorious story He continues to write? Will you give Him praise? Will you give Him glory? For the unfolding of his glorious story. Will you do that? A couple weeks ago on my Facebook feed, this thing kept coming up. This it's called the Scribe Bible or something, you know. And so I always I'm curious about these things. And so I clicked on it and I looked, I'm like, that's pretty cool. It's just this book. And on one whole page, you know, as you fold it out, it's got, you know, write your passage down for the day. And it says, okay, what, how do you apply that passage? And then after that, it's got, how do you pray through this passage? 
and then, uh, and then it's got, um, you know, something like, who do you pray for? And then it's got one thing that I thought was very good. I'm like, I like that. It says, what are you going to thank God for today? That's some good stuff there. Because I feel like that, that's where we sometimes will fall short. Because life is so monotonous. Because life can be so draining. Because things are so difficult at times. To not really stop and to thank God. So in other words, every day should be Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) Every day. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have sweet redemption because God fixes broken things. Let's pray. Lord, you have been good to us. You are faithful and true. Father, we lift up um, our hearts to you, our hands to you. Um, we need you to help us to realize and recognize and, and dive in deep into the sweet redemption that we have. Help us to be encouragers to one another. To be encouragers to those even that maybe do not even know you. That they would be drawn to you. We need you to help us to step back and to be silent and wait upon you and to realize the blessings that we have in our sweet redemption in Christ. Lord, this life may be hard, but your kingdom is coming. Your kingdom is coming. Help us to live for that and be encouraged in our redemption. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.